Have you ever wondered what it's like to sit in on a magazine editorial meeting? Well, this is your chance. You're listening to Salt Lake Speaks, a monthly podcast where our editors, writers, and staff dig deeper into stories, chat with newsmakers, and talk amongst ourselves about arts, culture, food, music, politics, or whatever else might strike our fancy. After all, we are Utah's biggest fans. This podcast was brought to you by Sun Valley Resort. Follow your path to Sun Valley. The road less traveled is more of an attitude than a place. It opens up a world of freedom and inspiration in lieu of secret trails and unassuming restaurants, although there are plenty of those here too. Whether you choose to take the unbeaten path or let the path choose you, Sun Valley Resort will be here when you're ready. Visit sunvalley.com summer today. Welcome to Salt Lake Speaks, Salt Lake Magazine's own podcast. You can find this and many other podcasts at saltlakemagazine.com podcasts. I'm Ashley Zanter, Associate Editor, and today I'm sitting here with Stu McInnes, CEO of Maximus Extreme Living Solutions, the oldest tiny home company in Utah. Thank you for sitting with us, Stu, today. You're welcome, Ashley. Thanks for having me. So why don't you go ahead and just tell us how you got involved a little bit in the tiny home business. What are tiny homes? Well, let me start with how I got involved with it, and I brought my, uh, my uh, namesake of the company here, my son, Maximus. and. Uh, it, my background is I'm a principal real estate broker, and I've done that for 26 years. And I, during that course of, of my career, I was the new homes director for the second largest Coldwell Banker franchise in the country for about eight years. And like I'm sure you folks, I get trade solicitations in my email all the time, and I got one on tiny homes probably about seven, eight years ago. And what happened was, um, I was fascinated by it. I bought this guy's book, I read it, and then I started looking on the internet. I started checking it out. Uh, I'd come home and I'd show my wife. I'd say, babe, check this out. Look at this, look at this. Well, after about three months of it, she said, honey, I need you to stop for a minute. I need you to do a favor for me. I said, what's that? She said, you need to either go start a company or you need to shut up because I'm sick of hearing about tiny homes. <laughs> I said, are you serious? She said, yeah. And so I did. And that's literally how I got involved. All right. Well, what is the what was your fascination with tiny homes? There seems to be a lot of it surrounding the tiny home movement, but I guess you can speak directly to that. Part of it for me, as I as I look at tiny homes, when I when I see what can be done in a limited space, and, and over the years I had an opportunity to sit and, and chat with lots of architects, and they said, you know, when if there's no boundaries and no limits, then creativity is real easy. You know, if, if money and time and space are not limiting factors, you can go hog wild. But if you have a very finite envelope in which to build, then, and you've got to fit in a bathroom, an eating area, a kitchen, sleeping quarters, living space, that's where you start to see real creativity take place or heightened creativity. And that to me was fascinating to see how these people can put these things together in such a way that is not only functional, but that has aesthetic qualities, that, that looks pleasing to the eye, that um, you don't feel like you're stuck in a sardine can. Those were the things that were really appealing to me about it. Okay, and your homes have appeared on HGTV and other home and garden networks. So do you think that these networks are picking up on, on that kind of 
interest in it, the interest of creativity, or do you think there's a novelty to it as well? Oh, I think I think without a doubt there's a novelty factor to it. I think there is. I think many people find the the creative element fascinating as well. I mean, it's it's hard uh, not to look at those and go, "Wow, this! How do you make these things happen? How do you bring these together?" Um, when we go to shows, for instance, trade shows and so forth, we've been all over the Western United States, um, and I've had probably, I've tracked it, I think it's close to 50 some odd thousand people go through a couple of homes that we take on tour. And whether it's a three-year-old child or their 83-year-old grandparent, when they walk in, one of the first reactions, and it's almost every single time, is they smile. You get this ear-to-ear -ear grin, and they, they light up, and they look at this and go, wow. And I think part of it, what it really harkens back to is think when you're a kid. You know, you sit in the living room with mom and dad, and you make a fort, okay, with your blankets all over the chairs, or a tree house as a kid, or something when you're little, you have a dollhouse. This is your space, and it's little, and it's secure, and it's fun, and you've got things where you want it. And I think the tiny home really captures that for a lot of people as it takes them back. And I think the other thing is where the big appeal is uh, that there's a sense of freedom. There's a freedom from, or there's a freedom to design. You can be really avant-garde. You can be really pushing the limits of design uh, in, in what you do with this. You can have a freedom from a mortgage. You can have freedom of mobility. So there's so many aspects that appeal to the American culture as a whole that it's, it's past that, that novelty phase, even though there's an inherent novelty feature to it that people are drawn to. Does that make sense? Yeah, and tiny things are cute. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how do you go about designing these? Like when you sit down and you're going to make a new tiny home design, what's your process? How do you do that? Part of that goes back, I think, just from the fact that I've, I've been involved in, in real estate so long and working with clients, particularly a lot of them with new construction, is I'll sit down with a, uh, a customer or a client, and, and one of the things that I tell them right from the beginning, I only have three limitations. That's your imagination, the laws of physics, and your pocketbook. <laughs> My job is just to line them up. And so what we'll go through is I'll ask them a series of questions um, because, frankly, selling is not telling. Selling's asking. And then if I know what it is that the customer wants, then the solution becomes real simple. And so through just a lot of questioning, how do you live, which is different than what do you want? Mm -hmm. Do you entertain a lot? Do you find yourself where you've got friends or family coming over? Do you like inside space? Do you like outside space? Do you like to bring those spaces together? Do you want to utilize the principle of stacking where we're putting sleeping quarters up above or do we want sleeping quarters on the main level? What do you envision in terms of a, a food preparation space? Do you want lots of counter space or less? And it's all relative because lots in a tiny home is like six feet. Yeah. you know, of counter space. And some people, that's, I think, one of the, the biggest challenges for people as they, they go through this process is getting their hands around when they say a lot, mm -hmm. it's relative yeah. and it's, it's different. Well, sort of going off of that, do you find that when people come and they want to buy a tiny home or they want to design a tiny home, 
do the, are they more informed? They understand what they're signing up for, or does the reality of like 240 square feet not hit them until they see it? Yeah, in in re in reality, it's more often, it's about 160 square feet. It's typically eight feet okay. by by 20. People sometimes will count that loft space, but you know, usually, it, uh, like a real estate appraiser wouldn't count a loft space because you can't stand up in it. So you've got a hundred and, you know, if it's 20 by eight, you've got 160 square feet envelope that you're playing with. And so when, when people come to us, uh, in many ways they're very informed. But when they have to live in the place, that's when the reality hits. And sometimes I think people, because of, you know, HGTV, FYI with Tiny House Nation, Tiny House Hunters, Tiny House Hunting, all of these shows, that, that they glamorize this to a point that people, it almost, the way these shows are, are manufactured and fabricated, that their love life is gonna be fantastic, that they're gonna be really popular, that they're not gonna have any debt, that they're gonna be cool and neat and all these things, and then when they wake up and they go, where the hell do I put my stuff? You know, the next day after they've got the home delivered, Wow, this is different. Wait a minute, I don't have people coming over for these lavish parties like they show on TV. So I think some of that, there's a, uh, I think sometimes there's a little bit of a letdown okay. when they do it. In what ways would you say they are informed? I think many of them, because of the, the internet, they have the okay. ability to, to access different designs, they can see different shows, they can see uh, different styles. So many of them have a lot of uh, insight as to different systems. For instance, whether it be uh, water heating or composting toilets or uh, radiant heat in the floor, that kind of stuff. Many of them have a lot of um, have done a lot of research that way, and so it helps us in creating a unit that works for them. Okay. So to localize the conversation just a little bit, you mentioned in your interview with Susan um, that many tiny home or potential tiny home buyers uh, get discouraged by the red tape and zoning rules that are in Utah. Yeah. What are some of those? Well, th there's not a, um, by and large, there's not a designated zoning for a tiny home. And many municipalities are, are structured in a way that, uh, or they have uh, zoning guidelines that there's minimum square footage um, scenarios for most residential uh, lots or land. So some of the rural areas, they have the ability to do some things um, with a little more flexibility. Some of the places like uh, mobile home parks, KOA, um, um, RV parks, things like that. Those are some things that they can go ahead and, uh, or those are some places that they can find some relief uh, but it's it's hit and miss. The zoning, the some of the cities, and it's not this is not germane just to Utah, but there's what they call an ADU zone, uh, accessory dwelling unit, and that affords people the opportunity to place a structure in the back of their or on their property. Uh, and and the the genesis of that was for people who had maybe an elderly pa uh, parent that wanted to live in there and still have some autonomy, or they wanted to rent out a space on their property to create extra income, or an adult child, or a caregiver. Th that's kind of how an ADU zone came about. 
Uh, and so we see some of that Salt Lake has, some of that Ogden has, some of that. But there's strict guidelines as to how that comes together. Okay. So there's lots of hurdles, lots of roadblocks, but because of the TV, because of the popularity of tiny homes and the growth with it, we're seeing more municipalities um, starting to entertain the possibility of, of doing something with them. Okay, so there's no, so politicians are going to have to, or at least local governments are gonna have to start to acknowledge this. Well, they're acknowledging it from one of two ways. They're either going to take a look at it from the standpoint of how do we incorporate it or how do we limit it? And some are taking a real hard line stance, n not in our community, and some are saying maybe in our community. But we don't have this open arm, come see me. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's because the tiny home doesn't fit into like the American dream? When we think of homes, when we think of what communities look like, it doesn't include a bunch of small houses attached to trucks. So do you think that has something to do with it? I think there's an inherent bias that you have. Um, anything on wheels, uh, the, the connotation, I mean, it's in our common vernacular, trailer trash. Oh, okay. Um, and people say that's going to uh, devalue my property. It's, you know, municipalities look at it and several things from their standpoint, they say, number one, there's not a governing body over the manufacturing of tiny homes. So we can't or we're not privy to an inspection process during construction. So uh, we don't want to give an occupancy permit because there's a certain liability attached with that from a municipality standpoint. Um, and then how do they tax it? That's a, a real-world situ uh, situation or scenario. They say, well, what, how, do we, how do we create revenue off of this? So it's, it's, a, it's a weird situation to be in. Is there any evidence that tiny homes in certain communities actually devalue other stand standalone properties? Uh, I don't think that there's um, any evidence of that because I don't think there's enough um, that are placed in a particular area that you could draw that kind of conclusion. I mean, if there were larger communities of it or parks of it, you might be able to extrapolate some sort of figure there, but I don't see that yet. Okay. Do, is it perhaps, you know, people really like to engage in millennial bashing? Everybody really hates millennials. People ages 18 to 34. Are those most of your clients? Are they younger families? Or no. Are they the, in fact, the, our biggest market segment is single women over 50. Wow. Yeah. And, you, and then the next would be millennials. Mm -hmm. um, and I think from the, the, the older segment, the, the single women over 50, it's many of them either be divorcees or widows or you know, they're saying, hey, you know what? I wanna go and live my life. I'm still relatively young. I wanna go do some things. I don't wanna be tied to the property. Millennials, I think there's uh, the sense of you know, being connected and having flexibility and, and being mobile and, and doing something kind of fun and different. That's the appeal there, so. So is the popularity of tiny homes, just to kind of wrap up this conversation, do you see this as a fad or are we watching the beginning of a serious shift in sort of what we value culturally? I think it is past the fad stage. Okay. I think it's here to stay. I don't necessarily think it is a, a, a monumental or titanic shift. I think it's another option. And so I think that you're going to see more of it. I think that it has broad appeal. But it's not for everyone. Just like a big McMansion isn't for everyone. I think it's just going to be another arrow in the quiver.
of how people live. Okay. And if you could give one piece of advice to someone who might be interested in buying a tiny home, what would that piece of advice be? Um, I think it would be do your due diligence and work with someone that is licensed. The state of Utah now requires manufacturing licenses. We have those. And work with someone that has some experience. Well, thank you for sitting down with us You're today. You're welcome. Appreciate you having me. This has been Salt Lake Speaks, Salt Lake Magazine's own podcast. You can find this and many other podcasts at saltlakemagazine.com slash podcasts.